Amen. Kids, you're dismissed up through fifth grade. The rest of you, please turn with me in your Bibles as we continue in worship to the book of Romans chapter 10. That's Romans chapter 10. We're just going to be in verses 13 to 15 this morning. And I don't know about you, but I'm fired up after that uh, time in worship. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, it's a little dangerous when I get too fired up and then come up here to preach, so I'm going to try to be careful, but uh, I'm fired up. Love, love that time of worship with my church family. I uh, love even looking out and seeing some of our uh, younger ones raising their hands in worship, and that just fills my heart with joy. If, if you don't, I get, it's been a long time since we've said this. There's probably some that don't know this. For, that first song that we sang after announcements, Holy and Blameless, uh, is probably one of my favorite worship songs to sing right now, and you might be wondering, why do I never hear that song on K-Love? It's, well, it's because our very very own uh, Pastor David wrote that song, and uh, it's just been a huge blessing to our church, and it came out of his time that he was really spending a lot of time marinating in the book of Ephesians, and then that song, he didn't plan to write a song out from that, but that song came out of that, and it's been a blessing to me, and I pray that it's, trust that it's been a blessing to you as well. Like I said, we're going to be in Romans chapter 10 this morning, verses 13 to 15. This is week four of mission month, week four of five, because we happen to be in a five-week month. I thought, let's just do all five weeks of May, and so this is week four of five of mission month. Next week, we're going to be commissioning our two short-term mission teams. So we have an adult team that is going to Guatemala, leaving on June 1st. I'm going to be a part of that team. We're going to be there for June 1st through 11th. My wife's going as well, and really excited about that. And then... um, um, uh, there's also going to be a youth and family team uh, heading to Minneapolis on June 15th, I believe. So we are going to um, we are going to be commissioning them as well. I'm sorry, I'm a little distracted right now because right when I said I'm not. I'm going to be gone on the trip. I saw Charles Wolford do a fist pump, and I don't know if that was because I'm going to be gone for a couple of weeks on Sunday or what that was from. But that, sorry, that made my mind go. I don't think that's what that was. But <laughs> anyways. After next week, then, we're going to be starting about an eight-week series or so in the Psalms, so spending time preaching through uh, some of our favorite Psalms as pastors, and so really excited about that time as well. Uh, but this morning, we are going to be in Romans chapter 10, verses 13 to 15. So look there with me. I'm going to read it, and then I will pray. It says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then... Will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we thank you for this text. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that it brings life, that it speaks truth to our hearts that are often prone to believing lies, that it speaks joy to our hearts that are often prone to darkness and depression, and it speaks life to us. So we just pray, God, we pray that as we spend time looking at your word, and discerning what it says, what it means, how it applies to our lives, God, that through your spirit you would just move in a mighty way in this place this morning, God. Do what you want to do among us. May we be open to receiving that, God. Whatever that is, whatever that is, give me a boldness to proclaim your word and a humility uh, in every word that I say, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, like I said, this is week four of Mission Month, talking about our mission as a church to make Christ known from our neighbors to the nations. And for the last two weeks, we've talked specifically about what does it mean to make Christ known to our neighbors. And two weeks ago, we talked about personal evangelism, sharing your story. What does it mean to share the good news of Jesus Christ? How do we do that? And we talked about the prayer of an evangelist. I hope you remember that or maybe have that written down. Remember the prayer as we think about sharing our, our faith, we should pray this simple prayer. God, open a door, open a door for me to share my faith, give me an opportunity, and then open my mouth, God, allow me to speak boldly, unapologetically, that we may not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, open a door, open my mouth, and then open their heart, remembering that it's God's job to do the heart work, it's our job to open our mouth, it's God's job to change people's hearts. So that's what we talked about two weeks ago, and then last week we talked about how, what does it look like to have a radical, self-sacrificial love towards our neighbors, to those that we come in contact with. With. And we talked about how that needs to be rooted in our understanding of the gospel. We can try to do loving things for a while without necessarily it being rooted in the gospel. But if we're going to truly love like we're called to love, our love for our neighbor needs to be rooted in an understanding of who God is and what he's done for us and how far we were from God before he called us. And the reason we need to have be rooted in in that is because there are people in your lives probably who are difficult to love right nod your head if you there's somebody in your life who has difficult who's a little bit difficult to love okay so there's three people in our church who have somebody in their life who is difficult to love and so for those three people no for all of us right yeah <laughs> yeah some for some of us it's me that's right for all of us we can try to do loving things, but if we're just doing it because it makes it feel good, well, we're not going to do much loving when it stops making us feel good. But if our love is a love that is irrational, right? It doesn't make sense. It's unreasonable, which is the way that God loved us. That is what's going to ground our love for others. And so we talked about, really, and then David and Henry shared and talked about the two goals that the neighbors team has for our church as we think about how are we together going to reach our neighbors. And he said our two goals, which I wholeheartedly agree with and affirm, goal number one is help us grow in personal evangelism. Help us grow in our confidence to be able to share our faith. To know not only our story, but the gospel, the good news, God's story, and to be able to share that with those who don't know. So that's goal number one, is grow in evangelism. And then goal number two, he talked about specifically, we want to uh, provide more opportunities for country living right here in Tipton uh, to hear the good news of Jesus. We feel like that's kind of an underrepresented area of ministry. I got a fly buzzing me there. It's kind of an underrepresented area of ministry here in our community. We want to take advantage of opportunities that we have to share the love of Jesus among that community. And so those are our two goals. And you know what? I, I did not have a single person come up to me after last week and say, Pastor Mike, is that it? That's easy. Got that already. Check. Done. I'm ready for something more difficult. Right? I, how many of you feel that way? Like, yep, I'm pretty much all the evangelism that I could do, I'm doing and doing great at it. And all the ways that I can love my neighbors, I'm just like, just killing it. Raise your hand if that's you, if you're just like, I'm ready to move on to the next thing. Yeah, that's none of us, right? That's definitely not me. In fact, if anything, the last two weeks have brought even clearer to, into view for me just how much work needs to be done in our church as we talk about reaching our neighbors. We got a lot of work to do, church. Amen? Amen? And so with all that work to be done, 
right here in Tipton, Tipton County, surrounding areas, among a people who share our culture, right, and speak our language for the most part, if we've got that much to do here where we don't have to travel thousands of miles to get there, why on earth would we focus any of our attention to a people who live really far away, who don't speak our language, and don't share our culture? If we've got so much work to do here, why should we care about the nations? That's the question. Why should we care about the nations? And here's the answer, and it's a very simple one. Because God cares about the nations. It's near to the heart of God. We see that all over in his word. Last year in August, I think it was the first Sunday of Missions Month, we actually went through, uh, starting in Genesis and all the way to Revelation, uh, we did a big overview and looking for God's heart for the nations in Scripture. And it's right there from the very beginning all the way to the very end. If you uh, want to be, have a refresher on that, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon again. We don't have time to talk about all these things, but all, all we have time for this morning is just to say, this is near to God's heart and it should be near to ours as well. And so this morning, we're going to see exactly how we're called to reach the nations and what that means for our church. And we're going to see that specifically from Romans chapter 10, verses 13 to 15. There's all different kinds. I've learned in my three years of preaching on a mostly weekly basis, there's all different kinds of passages that you come across in Scripture. There's some passages you come across, you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do with this one, right? It takes some digging a little bit. And that's not the the fault of the passage. That's the fault of the preacher to just do a little bit more work to figure out what it means and how it applies to our lives. There are some passages like that. Church, this passage is not one of them. It's, uh, it's pretty evident right away what it means and how we need to apply it. And so we're going to walk through it, and we're just going to hope that the Lord just impresses these truths that we already know, just presses them deeper in our hearts. So look with me at verse 13 says this, it's actually quoting the book of Joel, chapter 2, I believe. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, I did a, I did a lot of uh, studying and digging in the Greek, original Greek in this passage, in this verse. And, and do you know what it means? It means everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's uh, seven years of Bible college and seminary right there for you, church. Paying off. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, we need a little bit of background to this passage because we're kind of jumping right in the middle of the book of Romans. Romans chapter 9 and 10, Paul is addressing a problem of unbelief in Israel. Why is unbelief in Israel a problem? Well, Israel was God's chosen people, right? He was the one that they promised the Messiah to. And now Israel is rejecting Jesus. And it looks like God is almost failing to keep his promise to save Israel. And so Paul's saying, no, that's not what is happening at all. And so let's actually rewind a little bit to verse 9, a verse that many of you probably have memorized. If not, it's a great one to memorize. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And go to verse 11. For Scripture says, everyone... Everyone, in this context, meaning both Jew and non-Jew, everyone who believes in him, in Jesus, will not be put to shame. 
For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. And that leads us to verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the mystery of the gospel. That salvation is equally available to all, both Jew and non-Jew. It's not about heritage. It's about Jesus. And so we begin this morning with this like glorious truth, this truth that saved you and this truth that saved me. It's a truth that we build our entire lives around and entire ministry around at the church that everyone, say everyone, everyone, regardless of who they are or what they've done, just like we sang, just like Pastor David just prayed, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will, say will, will be saved. Will be saved. Praise God for that, amen? And what does it take to call on someone to save you? Not much, right? You can call on someone to save you with your last breath. Look at the thief on the cross. As long as you're breathing, you can call on the name of the Lord. And if you do that for salvation, God promises you will be saved. Now, if that is true, right? Go with me here. If everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, then that also means that it's negative is also true. I'm going to try not to mess this up. It means nobody who doesn't call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Did I say that right? Everyone who doesn't call on the name of the Lord will not be saved. Am I getting that right? If you don't call on the name of the Lord, you're not going to get saved. It's just as true. And it is a sobering reality. And it has massive implications for the way that we live and the way that we carry out our ministry. Because if somebody lives their entire life and never hears the name of Jesus, never hears the gospel, then they have no hope to be saved. If you live your entire life and never hear the name of Jesus, you have no hope to be saved. Doesn't matter how upright and moral of a life that this person lived as an atheist or a Muslim or a Buddhist or an animist or a Hindu or a Sheikh or a Baha'i or a Zoroastrian or a New Age. I was looking up world religions today as I was, or this week as I was preparing as you can't tell, or an agnostic or anything else. It doesn't matter how much good they did in the world. If they don't call on the name of Jesus, they won't be saved. And that should fire us up, right? I mean, to hear the gospel and reject it, that's one thing. But to live your whole life and never hear the gospel, how heartbreaking. And first of all, I mean, this should really fire us up to do ministry here because if there's somebody who lives like next door to you and they live their whole life and never hear the gospel, well, how tragic. And to think they live next to a member of Rock Prairie and they still never heard the gospel. Like, how tragic is that, right? That should fire us up to do ministry that you need to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. Here's where we need to be clear. If there was already a church presence all over the world, like 
If everyone in the world lived reasonably close to a church, just like people in Tipton County live to reasonably close to a church, then we wouldn't need to do missions, right? We would just be able to focus right here. Like we said, we got a lot of work to do here. And if everyone in the world lived as close to a church as people in Tipton County lived to this church, then we wouldn't need to do missions, right? We don't need missionaries to come, we've said this before, we don't need missionaries to come to Tipton County from another country to share the gospel. If they do, what a failure that is on the part of us as a church, right? We don't need missionaries to come here because we're here and other Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches are here and praise the Lord for that. But there are many places all over the world who have no access to the gospel. In fact, 33 Billion with a B people live in the world, live in places right now where they have no access to the gospel. I want to be clear. I'm not talking about people who aren't Christians. I'm not talking about 3.3 billion non-believers. There's more than that. But there are 3.3 billion people living in places not only where they aren't believing in the gospel, but they have no access to it. They can't even hear the name of Jesus to call on him to be saved. You might remember in August when we had all around this sanctuary the banners that were filled with the names of people groups who are yet to be reached with the good news of Jesus Christ. And this church is a big task, isn't it? Feel a little bit like, oof, what are we going to do about that? Well, we're not going to fix it, all of it, but there's a lot that we can do. Paul is actually going to answer this question for us in this passage as we walk through. He's going to give us four rhetorical questions. Four questions, and the answer to each of these questions is they can't. So when we ask these questions, we're going to get participatory this morning. I'm going to have you, it's a big word, I'm going to have you respond by saying they can't when I read these rhetorical questions. So here's first, the first question that Paul asks. If it is true that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved... Verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? What's the answer? They can't. Good job. They can't. You can't call on someone to be saved. You haven't believed. Now this actually, um, this is kind of a little bit of a technical thing, but it has really big implications for how we do ministry. He doesn't start by saying, how can they call on him that they haven't heard about? He's going to get there. But the first thing he says is how can they call on him if they haven't believed in him? Which means that ministry, missions in evangelism, there's a heart work involved. It's not just getting someone to to read a piece of paper that says, I call on Jesus to save me if they don't know what it means, they don't really understand. There's a faith that needs to take place. They need to believe. Which means that the ministry that we do must be very careful work of explaining the gospel to those who do not yet believe. And if we don't do that, then things can go very wrong. I think I've shared before, but I'm going to share this again. We, our Guatemala team is about to experience this uh, because uh, the place that we're going to in Guatemala, its history is they were, um, they were uh, believed in like ancestor worship and witchcraft was the dominant religion of the area. And that's what for probably thousands of years, that's what they practiced. And um, 
What happened is, I think a couple hundred years ago or so, Catholics sent missionaries into these areas and they established the Catholic Church. But when they established the Catholic Church, they said, you can continue on doing your witchcraft stuff as long as you also uh, perform the Catholic sacraments as well. And so they literally built a Catholic uh, cathedral right next to a place where witchcraft was happening because they figured people are going to come up here to do, cast, have a witch doctor cast their spells. You might as well have them come over and pray to Jesus as well. And so what's happened now after hundreds of years is mass confusion of people who will literally go into the church and there's a little statue of Jesus at the front and they'll bow down before Jesus like they're worshiping an idol and then they'll go right next door and have a witch doctor uh, perf- cast spells and perform uh, different uh, sorcery and really d- things that are uh, dealing in the demonic realm. And I would, they're definitely not better off. I would say they're worse off because now there's more confusion about who Jesus is. And so when he says, how can they call on someone in, in whom they have not believed? This is talking about believing the truth of who Jesus is. And it takes a lot of work, a lot of patient teaching and discipleship. It's a lot of work here. And how much more work does that take when you're working among people who you don't share a language with and you don't share a culture with? It takes a lot of work. The second question, how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? What's the answer? They can't. Can't believe in Jesus if you've never heard of Jesus. Question three goes hand in hand. How are they to hear without someone preaching? Answer, they can't. They can't believe in him who they've never heard, and they can't hear without someone preaching. These seem to be, I think, pretty uh, basic things, right? Yeah, (laughs) you need to hear about Jesus to believe in Jesus, and to hear about Jesus, you need someone to tell you about Jesus. I think we understand that here in this context, but I think when we think about like missional context, we can sometimes think like, Oh, God will just take care of it. He'll just reveal himself to them. Why, why can't God do that? Why doesn't God do that? Why does God need missionaries at all? Frankly, why does he need us even to share with our neighbors? He's God, right? Why doesn't he just reveal himself to everyone he wants to reveal himself to just without using anybody else? Why does he use us? Isn't God sovereign? Isn't he in control Oh, yes, he is. God is God. God doesn't need anything or anyone. We'll make that clear right now. There's nothing that God wants that he doesn't have. That makes sense. He's God. He has everything already. He had everything already, even before he made you and me and the whole world. He didn't make us because he was lacking something. He made us to display his glory. So he doesn't need anything. From us, But the mystery of it all is that the way that he chooses to operate in this world, because it brings him the most glory, is by people like you and me proclaiming the good news. And there's no other way that this happens in scripture or in the world. It's always through people. There's this really interesting story in the book of Acts chapter 10. There's a centurion named Cornelius. He's not a believer yet in Jesus, but he's praying... And God speaks to him in his prayer. And he tells Cornelius to send for a man named Peter. And so Cornelius, being a centurion, sends his men 
to go and get this Peter guy. And listen to this in verse 22. Listen to what happens, Acts chapter 10. Cornelius, so, so Cornelius' men go to Peter's house. So Peter's just chilling. I don't know what he's doing. Gets a knock on the door, opens it. Here's a bunch of uh, uh, centu- uh, these men here. Cornelius' men, it says, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if someone shows up to your house and says, uh, yeah, an angel told me to come and uh, come to your house and have you uh, tell us whatever you want to tell us. <laughs> I've messed up a lot of evangelistic opportunities in my life, which I've shared with you in the past. I don't even think I would mess that one up, right? Oh, an angel directly gave you my name? Yeah, you sure it was me? Okay, yeah, I'm, I'll go and I'll share. And, and Peter goes and he shares the gospel and his Cornelius and his household believe and are saved. Isn't that interesting? God's communicating with Cornelius, and yet it wasn't until he heard the gospel through Peter that he was saved. And the same is true today. In fact, there are many stories, actually, uh, which I truly believe of Muslims coming to Christ because they have a dream or a vision about Jesus. But that dream or a vision is never enough to bring them to salvation without understanding the gospel through God's word and through somebody explaining it to them. So we have missionaries that are working in closed countries who will have uh, Muslims come up and say, I had this dream about this guy named Jesus. Do you have any idea what that means? But God always works through people proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. You can't hear, you can't believe in Jesus if you've never heard the name of Jesus, and you can't hear the name of Jesus without someone proclaiming the name of Jesus. So we need proclaimers to proclaim the good news among those who have never heard. Now, how are they going to get there to do it? How are these preachers, these proclaimers of the gospel going to get there? Well, that's the final rhetorical question that Paul asks. Verse 15, how are they to preach unless they are sent. What's the answer? They can't. How are they to preach unless they are sent? Someone needs to be sent to preach the gospel. So the question is, sent by who, right? Whom? Who? Whom? Sent by whom? (laughs) Who's doing the sending? Well, short answer is God, right? Jesus is doing the one sending But the vehicle that he uses is the local church. That's in the Bible. Acts chapter 13. The Holy Spirit says, set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have for them. And so the church in Antioch lays hands on Paul and Barnabas and then sends them out. So God speaks through an internal call to Paul and Barnabas to go to preach the good news, but the external call of the local church, laying hands and sending them out. So how are they to preach unless they are sent? It's the local church's job to send out proclaimers to people who have never heard the good news so they can hear and believe and call on the name of the Lord. This is our mission. It is biblical, it is necessary, and I would argue it is urgent as the number of people living amongst the unreached grows by the day. And until there are churches all over the world reaching every people group with the gospel, which isn't going to happen in our lifetime, then this will remain our mission. 
to send out proclaimers from our body to preach the good news so that people who have never heard the name of Jesus will call on the name of Jesus and be saved. Church, billions of people are living and dying without ever hearing the name. Billions. It's like, it's unfathomable. We shouldn't be indifferent to that. We can't be indifferent to that. As much work as we have to do here, we must also understand that's work to be done. And if not us, then who? If not us, then who? Before we go any further in our message, I just want to say that by God's grace, there might be some of you in here this morning that are hearing this and you just can't get this one verse out of your head. How are they to hear without someone preaching? How will they hear without someone preaching? How are they going to hear about Jesus unless someone goes? Here am I, Lord. Send me. And maybe that's somebody, that's my heart, that's my desire. God would use some of us to go from Rock Prairie Church in Tipton, Indiana, to go and proclaim the good news to those who have never heard. And if that's you, if you're feeling that tug, I just want, like, don't ignore that. I'm not going to, like, you're not going to meet with me and then I'm just going to, like, send you off next week, okay? It's, there's a process here, <laughs> okay? You might be feeling that tug in your heart that says, I want to go, I want to preach the good news. If that's you, just don't, don't lose it. The enemy does not want this. I can't imagine the, anything the enemy would want to squash more than somebody who has a burning desire in their heart to go and preach the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, where people have never heard. He wants you to forget all about it. He wants you to think it's stupid. He wants you to think there's plenty of other people that'll go. He wants you to think you're not qualified, that you don't know enough, that you could never do it. And let me just say, maybe on your own that's true, but not true in the power of Christ. So if that's you, you might be feeling in your heart that's, like I said, this internal call to go, which needs to be confirmed by the external call of the church. So again, this is not something that was just like, boom, all right, we'll send you out next week. We'll talk more about that. If you're starting to feel that internal call to go, I want to at least talk to you about it. Reach out to me and we'll start to have just a conversation. Just see what God might be doing in your heart. Because we can't be blind to this reality of so many people who just don't even have access to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. So some of you might be just feeling that, that verse over and over again. How will they hear without someone preaching? I hope for the rest of us, though, if that's not maybe you, you don't feel that, I hope for the rest of us, then this, the next verse is what's ringing in your ears this morning. How are they to preach unless they are sent? Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. If any church in America can understand that analogy, that should be us, right? Harvest is plentiful. Workers are few. Crops are ready to be harvested. We don't have enough people to harvest them. So what does Jesus say? Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out workers into his fields. May we be a church that sends out from our own. And so for those of you who... uh, who aren't feeling the call to go, I pray that you feel the call to send out workers, laborers into the field. And man, I just think, I'm just convinced that God can do this in our church. I'm convinced of it. Why? Just a a small church in a small town. Read my Bible enough to know that God uh, 
God does a lot of work through uh, small towns. <laughs> he can do a massive thing if we're faithful, if we seek him together, if we pray for it. God can do a mighty work. And that's what I want to see in our church. Some of us are called to go. We're all fall into one of these categories. Some of us are called to go. The rest of us are called to send. There's not really a third category. You're a goer or you're a sender. I must be a church that's filled with goers and filled with senders who are sending those out in a manner worthy of God. Speaking of which, as we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, we have somebody in our body who's been feeling this internal call to go for quite a while now. We brought her on staff. It's Rayma Abrams, and uh, she's been our children's director for since uh, June. And we brought her on staff uh, praying about if God would, in fact, send her out into the field. And so I'm going to invite her to come up right now. And she's going to share a little bit about her heart, what she's excited about, and what these next months are looking, going to look like for her and how we can support her. This is a very exciting opportunity for us as a church, and I'm excited for you to hear from her. So here you go. I think that microphone's on, Rayma. And first of all, if you would just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background. There's probably some here who don't know you, so just introduce yourself and a little bit about your background and how you developed a heart for the nation's. Well, as you guys know, I'm Rayma, and many of you know, I actually was a missionary kid in Israel for three years. So I learned fluent Hebrew, can read and write, lived among a foreign people, a foreign culture, and learned how to adapt. But with missions, as I found out as a kid, there's so many hardships, difficulties when you're on the field. So I was 11 when we got done, and I said I would never be a missionary. <laughs> Um, it, so when I got older, God really radically moved in my heart um, to show me his love and a burden for the unreached people, people of the earth. Yeah, I love that. Isn't that just like the Lord to take those things that we say we will never do and then we can't imagine doing anything but that. And uh, he does that so often. And So now, so kind of fast forward a little bit. How did you get to the place where you are now where you're preparing to go to Radius? Yeah, so as you guys know, I've been preparing for a while, really been praying for about seven years for long-term missions. And um, I went to Bethany Global University where I had four years of missionary training. And that's where I went on an internship to the Republic of Georgia to reach the unreached people called the Azerbaijani. So there's less than about 1% of them who, have, um, who are believers. And really, there's not an established church among them. So we went and we did ministry there. And really, that's where I felt that my heart for the nations was truly being tested. And it was there that I felt God's confirmation that his calling was placed on my life for long-term missions. And this is how I want to live my life for his glory. Yeah, love that. And we're talking about Radius. What is Radius? Explain that to people who don't know. And what are you specifically hoping that you're going to be prepared for as you attend? Yeah, so um, let's see, what is RADIUS? RADIUS is a nine-month missions program that serves to train up future missionaries to be equipped and effective in planting churches among the unreached people of the earth. Um, so we get the tools to be able to learn a language that's never been learned before, to be able to tra translate the Bible, and establish a church among the unreached people groups. Um, so I'm really excited to uh, learn how to be a ch pioneer church planter among the unreached. And if you guys know what, don't know what that means, that means going to somewhere where no one's ever been and we're going to be the first ones to bring a church there. So, you know, here in Tipton, Indiana, we have, I don't know how many churches, definitely more than one, 
but you know, in other places of the world, the most remote places, they have no church, no access to the gospel. So we'll be pioneering churches to the unreached places. I'm also excited to learn how to learn a language. Some of you know I speak Hebrew, I speak Azerbaijani. Um, so I got the language learning down, but I don't know how to learn a language that's never been learned before. So this is a tool that I think is so essential, especially when you're going to the most remote places of the earth. Yeah, so there are many places that um, the, maybe they speak a language that uh, has never even been written down. It's just mm-hmm. a, a oral language, and so you're learning actually how to even uh, write down language for them so that you can teach them to read so that they can then read yeah. God's word. It really is, uh, there a lot of places that haven't mm-hmm. been reached are some of the hardest places to go, and so yeah. that's what you're preparing exactly. to do. So. And also, um, Radius International's program has an intentional high-stress design to simulate stressful situations that often arise in the mission field, which will prepare me to minister effectively in the midst of incredibly challenging environments um, I will face as a missionary. So, the most remote places where probably there's, who knows, danger, stressors. um, But I'm truly excited to be fully equipped and prepared during my time at Radius to make Christ known among the nations. Yeah, love that. I love intentional high-stress design. I don't know if you caught that. Uh, probably working with me has been unintentional high-stress design in many ways over the past year. But, um, yeah, that, again, it's, it's all about testing and preparing yourself over these next nine months um, to, um, to be able to go to some of the hardest places um, to preach the good news. So why you talked about language, learning language, learning culture. What does that mean, especially learning culture? Like, what does that mean, and why is that so important? Yeah, language and cultural context are incredibly important part of missions. Without them, you can cause a lot of damage by trying to communicate in the way that you understand but people are so different around the world um, in pretty much every area of life that it's important to share the gospel in a way that's culturally appropriate, honoring to God and honoring to the people that you're trying to reach. Yeah, I love that. And talk a little bit just about like what can go wrong when we, when we don't um, do that well. So there can be misunderstandings, and a, a lot of people, there, I have no examples of missionaries who have went, tried to share the gospel, but based on the people group's view of their whole worldview, they actually received a different gospel than was preached. And so, I mean, really there's a number of ways yeah. that can go wrong. But um, So that's why it's so important to understand the culture. Um, and just like Paul said, you know, he became a Jew, a Greek, yeah. and, you know, to all people yep. to Amen. reach them. Yeah. yeah, and we kind of, again, it, it sounds little bit out there when you just kind of think about it in our own context. If somebody came here from another country who barely spoke any English and he was trying to talk to you about some things and you might, you know, you might not really know what he's saying and you might just be polite, you know, yeah, yeah, okay, and shake his hand and and that person might walk away and, and, and call back home and be like, you wouldn't believe what an amazing encounter I just had with this person. They were so receptive. They agreed with everything I said. Well, you don't know what they were saying, right? And so the same thing can be true. We don't want to over-spiritualize, I guess, in the way, like, lean on the Holy Spirit to do things that he doesn't promise that he'll do. We're called to work hard to be able to communicate clearly and effectively, and so that's a big part of the training that Raymond will be having um, at Radius. The last thing, once you talk, a couple more things, but when we think about going to the mission field, there is suffering involved, and so talk about how you're also going to be talking about uh, developing a theology of suffering. So what does that mean, and why is that so important? A theology of suffering is so important to have as a missionary. Um, at Radius, they say suffering is normative. 
As a believer, you suffer for the sake of Christ, no matter where you live. Um, but for decades outside of America, the church has been suffering great persecutions, torture, and death for the sake of the gospel. Followers of Jesus will suffer for his name, um, but this may look different from person to person. But it is to be expected. And it's really important to have the right view of suffering because I will experience suffering for Christ as a missionary. 1 Peter 2, 21 says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. I believe that any suffering is worth making Christ known to glorify him among the nations, and it's going to be all worth it on that great day when Jesus comes again, and there's a great multitude that no one can number from every tribe, from all people and languages, clothed in white, standing before the throne, worshiping the Lamb. Amen. Amen. It just kind of brings even more into focus why it's so important to not do this alone. And there's a lot of people who try to go out in the field that they don't have the backing of their local church. And, 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 uh, and oftentimes it doesn't go well. And you think, we don't know what that's going to look like. We don't know, Lord willing, when you get to where you're called to serve, what kind of prayer requests are going to come back. But we do know, you look out on these faces, that these are the people that are going to be supporting you and loving you and walking with, through this with you uh, together as we send you out, Lord willing. And so... It's a big deal. So we talk about the church sending. So how can we as a church be partnering with you on this journey? Yeah, so really um, I'm raising prayer support and uh, financial support to go to Radius. So um, both of these are very important. Without them, I won't be able to go. So you can support me in either way, prayer, uh, financial support. One's not really more important than the other. They're both equally as important. Speaking from experience in Georgia, when I was doing ministry there, I really could feel when people were praying for me back home. I just knew that the church was lifting me up in times where I just needed strength when I didn't have any. So, super important. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for sharing, yeah. Rayma. Let's thank Rayma for uh, yeah. sharing. Now, if you want to learn more, I want to encourage you to uh, reach out to her, reach out to me, and I can help you get you guys connected. Um, but just really important, uh, it's... Uh, what her, her tuition is, uh, she's going to, has, I think, just a little bit over $10,000 left to raise, which really isn't um, terrible, um, but it's something that we need to be supporting her. I know, so you think about, well, we just did this capital campaign and pledged over $400,000 for new windows, and man, what a big deal that was. Um, I'm just going to say, I'm, I don't want to give anyone a heart attack here, but like, this is way more important than, than the new windows, and uh, we, I just want to encourage you, if the Lord's talking at your heart, to support uh, Rama in this, um, and uh, we can do it. We can raise whatever we need to raise, and then when she comes back, she's going to be then raising more support to go wherever her final destination is. She'll be, Lord willing, also she'll be connecting with a team of other students at Radius, either people who have graduated and are already serving or people that she's going to be with during this nine-month cohort to then go out with, so it's definitely not something she's doing on her own. Um, there will be, uh, she'll be going out with a team, and uh, we're just so, so excited about it, so just want to encourage you. We're going to keep Rama in our prayers, and uh, we are going to have a great sense off service in August before she goes uh, to, to send her off uh, to uh, attend Radius. So thank you so much, Rayma, for, um, for sharing with us this morning. It's a big deal. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But if they don't hear it, they can't believe. But when someone believes because they've heard 
because it's been preached, because someone preached it to them, because they were sent, then what other response can we give? Verse 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Rescue is coming. The good news is coming, not because of the person, but because of the gospel. And so praise the Lord for that. We want to be a church of senders and goers. Amen? Amen. It's close to God's heart. My prayer is that it will be near to ours as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, um, we got a lot of work to do in a lot of areas, um, but it's a good work because it is the best news in the world, and God, we're just, uh, we don't want to waste our time with lesser things. So spur us on, God. If there's anyone in here this morning who feels that tug, say, I might have that internal call that the Lord might be pressing on me to potentially go out to the nation someday, Lord, I pray that you would just affirm that and confirm that in them if that is indeed you, and that we would be able to raise up and send out others from our church, Lord. As hard as it is, as scary as it is, probably for many of us, the, the prayer is... Uh, God, send, send people out, but not my son or my daughter. It's a, it's a sobering thing to think about, Lord. And yet, what better work is there? And what better place to be than in your will, God? There's no safer place to be than in your will. There's no more dangerous place to be than outside of your will. So may we just be obedient to whatever you call us to do, Lord. Give us a heart for what's near to you and your heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.